chapter 58, and I want to just read one verse, but we'll look at several verses here this evening. Verse number 11, And the Lord shall guide thee continually. Man, those ought to be some comforting words to us tonight. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. Well, that ought to be some comforting words to us, maybe to some, some maybe even quite comical words. God will make me fat. But uh, that's just some Hebrew uh, literary imagery there to speak of God's ability to make one flourish, uh, to make one to be well off. And so, what a blessing we have in these words. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we bow in your presence tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your mercy towards us. Lord, we know that we are not consumed and it is because of your mercies. Thank you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy are both anew every day. Thank you, Lord, for your love that constrains us. And Lord, thank you for your goodness that causes us to repent. And Lord, when we're mindful of all your goodness and all your grace and all your mercy, your loving kindness towards us, Lord, we have to confess with the psalmist who is man that thou art mindful of us. Lord God, you are. And Lord, we have such a thought in the passage before us tonight of your thoughts towards us, of your promises towards us. Lord, may they encourage us tonight. May they speak to us, Lord, and help us, Lord God, to be faithful in our service of you. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. You may be seated. I want to preach on the thought this evening, the Lord shall lead thee. The Lord shall lead thee. Now, when we come to this passage of Scripture, of course, we want to look at the context in just a moment, but before we do, I just want to simply point out that we have before us some promises. Uh, Thank God for the promises of the Word of God, the promises that God give us. And there are different types of promises in the Word of God. Let me point out to you, first of all, there are unconditional promises. For that, I am eternally grateful, and you should be too. It is that kind of unconditional promise, an unconditional covenant that God has made and that God has promised that secures our salvation. Praise God, He'll never lose not one of us. He's never lost one of His own. He's not about to start. And if God ever saves you, you are saved forever. You are saved for eternity because you are given eternal life. That is an unconditional promise, and I thank God for promises like that. But also, let me point out by way of introduction that God's, some of His promises uh, come with conditions. They are what we would call conditional promises. And uh, they are uh, conditioned on some commandment, typically. They are conditioned on some activity that God is requiring. Well, the verse that we have before us is one of those verses. It is promises, but they are conditioned. They're based on something that's already been said. Chapter 58 of Isaiah is a very interesting chapter. And uh, though we're not going to preach this chapter, I do want to point out some thoughts that this chapter is dealing with. If you were to go back and you were to begin reading in verse number 1 of chapter 58, you'll find that God 
is calling the prophet to cry aloud and spare not. He's called this man of God to stand up and declare the sins of his people, the sins of the people of God, the nation of Israel, that they might repent of those sins and that they might do works that are righteous and just in the sight of God. Do so out of a heart of love and out of a heart of desire instead out of a sense of devotion where they do it because they think it makes them righteous. And so chapter 58 discusses Really, uh, the idea or the theme of this chapter is fasting. Uh, That's not the, the, the meaning or the theme of my message, but that is the theme of the context of this chapter. If you go back and you look at it. Uh, here, Isaiah is dealing with the truest meaning of fasting. And uh, that fasting that pleases the Lord, God explains through the prophet Isaiah, <coughs> That while the people of Israel did participate in fasting, they essentially did so with the wrong attitude. Let me just pause there for a second. Have you ever done something that you should have did, but you did it with the wrong attitude? It's wrong. Attitude is not everything, but attitude's a big part of it. And so here they were doing what they should have been doing, but they had the wrong attitude. Uh, That's good for us to remember. We ought to do some things as God's people, but we need to have the right attitude when we do it. If you're going to go visit somebody, don't slam open the door and let the wind catch the screen door and jerk it off the hinges and say, well, I'm here doing what I'm supposed to do. That's the wrong attitude. Go in there with some joy in your heart and try to be a blessing. And so here we had the, the fact that Israel was doing some of the right things, but they had the wrong attitude. Fasting, for the most part, for these people was simply something that they did on the outside with no real impact on the inside. And let me just say, there's a lot of people that go to church today. It's something they do on the outside, but sadly, there's no real impact on the inside. They play the part, they perform the task, they do the role that they've been assigned to do, but at the end of the day, their heart's not in it. They don't have an attitude of seeking to serve and please and worship God in what they're doing. They're just doing it because it is religious activity and they feel required to do it. And that's what was going on in Israel. They were doing some things on the outside that were right, but the attitude in the heart was wrong. And I'm not going to jump around and run rabbits, but let me just say that's what the Beatitudes is dealing with Brother Vincent's been preaching that on Wednesday night. The Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with that very thing. He's dealing with the fact that there are certain outward things that ought to be done, but what matters most is what is going on in the heart. And if the heart's right, the other things will follow suit. But there's a lot of people that's got the outside dressed up real nice, and on the inside, as the Sermon on the Mount depicts, they are like whited sepulchers. They're like... A graveyard that's fixed up real pretty, but what's inside of every grave? Dead bones. Ain't nobody living in there. It's dead. And that's a lot of Christian, quote-unquote Christian, a lot of religious people. They look real pretty on the outside, but inside there ain't nothing happening. They're dead. All right? And that was a problem with Israel. And so, here they were. They were fasting. They were doing the right thing on the outside with the wrong attitude on the inside. They were doing something with a great impact on the outside, had little impact on the inside. 
And we can go on and on and on, but they were doing this in order to say they were righteous. Well, God, look at what I've done. I am righteous in your sight. And they had a wrong view of the law of God. They looked at the law of God as something, if I do this, I'll be righteous. But the law of God was never given so that men could follow it and be righteous. The law of God was given to show men that they can't follow it and they are unrighteous. But they, by faith in a righteous God, can be saved and given the ability to please God outside of their works, but through God's finished work. And by faith in Him, then you're able to please God. And so that's what was going on. God goes further with this meaning of the results of true fasting. And again, without looking at all of it, because we don't have time, if you start in verse 6 and 7, that's really where He starts laying out what they uh, had not been doing and, and then uh, what fasting was. And in fact, verse 6, He says, Is, not, is this not the fast that I have chosen? These are pretty prominent verses. In fact, some of you may recognize these verses. These are verses that often are, are, uh, have been preached and are quoted uh, even in light of the Lord Jesus. But to loose the band of the wicked, to undo the heavy burden, to set or to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. And he said, this is the purpose of this fast. It is to help people. Notice he goes on further and describes the kind of help that people get when fasting's done the right way. He says, Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? He said, Have I not chosen you to have this fast so you can help others that are hungry? Give food to the hungry. And then he goes on, And that thou might bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. <coughs> he says, Not only is this a fast to give your food away to those hungry, this is a fast to be hospitable and invite people in need to come into your home. Now, I'm just saying, as God gives the meaning of the results of true fasting, He literally points out that true fasting should result in things like feeding the hungry, being hospitable. He goes on, He says in verse 7, When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, giving clothes to the needy. These are things that God says people that have the right attitude in fasting, they will do these things. They will go a step above and beyond. They just won't fast on the outside and anoint their heads with oil like the, like the Pharisees of the New Testament just wanting to be seen that they fasted. But these are people that when they fast with the right attitude, they go out of their way to be a blessing to others, to serve others. And basically, we can sum up these two verses this way. Loving others as yourself. And isn't that the second great commandment? To love thy neighbor as thyself. And when these are done from the heart, then comes the blessing. What's the blessing? You see it in verse 8 and 9. What's the blessing? Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and He shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. You see, all the blessing that God promises upon the people that have the right attitude in Fasting, 
And then like good Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, God repeats what He has just been saying using a slightly different example in verse number 10. He says, And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, here he is saying the same thing again, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. In other words, God's saying, I am going to bless you with endless day. I'm going to give you the fruit and the blessing of a, of a world or of a, of a life that knows no darkness. A life that only knows light. A life that only knows blessing. A life that only knows God's hand of provision. Now again, this is when they fasted the right way, God says, I will bless you the right way. But when you're doing it the wrong way and you're just doing it to be seen, I don't regard that. That's unrighteousness in my sight. I will not bless it. That's what God is saying here. Let me just say it's the same for the Christian as it was for the Israelite. And no, I'm not talking about fasting tonight. We're finding in this text that is before us, in essence, this is proof that God's promises are often, though not always, conditional. And it's the same tonight for you and I as it was for Israel. We have two choices as we walk through this life. We can go through the outward motions of living the Christian life while our hearts are somewhere else completely. You can be sitting on a pew at Indian Mission Baptist Church on a Wednesday night, December the 27th, and yet your heart can be a million miles away from this place. And if that's you tonight, you know what? You're no better off than Israel was. Fasting with the wrong motive, with the wrong attitude, doing it to gain righteousness instead of doing it because of their love for Jehovah. And so we have two choices. We can either do what we're supposed to do without any heart in it, usually focused on ourselves and on our own wants, or we can endeavor to live the way the Lord wants us to live and do so from our hearts. The heart's condition is the true dividing line tonight. Something only God can judge. I can't judge your heart. You can't judge my heart. I can't point anybody out tonight and say, I know you may be here, but your heart's not here. Only God can do that. You can't do that to me. Only God can do that. But the heart is where the issue lies. That is where the dividing line is. And tonight, there will be some who will be here worshiping God out of devotion, out of love for Christ, with their heart in the right place, and their motivation in the right place, and their attitude the right way. And there will be some that merely show up and do their duty, check in, check out, and go to the house. Say, well, preacher, I know who you're talking about tonight. Be careful. Because the problem is most of us cannot even rightly judge our own hearts, let alone somebody else's heart. I have a hard enough time keeping my own motives in check, let alone trying to figure out somebody else's motivation. That's between you and God. But I stand today as a warning from the Word of God, just trying to keep this text in its context. 
God was dealing with Israel because they fasted, but they fasted the wrong way. And He told them, if you'll fast the right way, I'll bless you for that, and I'll prosper you for that, and I will use you to minister to those <coughs> that are in need. And we can learn from this example as we apply it to our lives, and either we can serve God with the right heart and the right motive and the right attitude, and God will use us to be a blessing to those in need, those who need the gospel. Or we can come and we can have the wrong attitude and we can do all the right things with the wrong attitude or for the wrong reason and God will simply pass over us. He will not bless that. And He will move on to another people. And so that in mind, I want to give you three thoughts tonight. I want you to notice, first of all, the principle that's at hand here. There's a, there's a very simple principle we have here. And if we choose to go simply through the motions without any reality to our lives of walking with God, God has something to say to us. And it's found in Numbers chapter, chapter 23, verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. If we choose to go our way instead of God's way and just go through the motions and not have our heart fully committed and devoted to God with the right motivation, the right attitude, God says, know this, I'm going to judge you for it one day. Your sin will find you out. We can be sure that if we choose to use religion or Christianity or whatever term you want to put on it for our own end, God is not mocked. That which a man soweth shall he also reap. At some point, either during our life or in the afterlife, that is when we stand before God and give an account of our lives, the sins that we live for, that we held dear, that we that we uh, designed our lives around and hid from the eyes of men. It's going to come to light. And God can do it in this life, and if not in this life, it will happen when we stand before Him. Make no mistake about that. And so there's a principle here for us. There's a principle for us to, 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 to heed and, and to realize that you reap what you sow, that God is no respecter of persons that... Our sin will find us out that God is keeping records. There is a principle here. And yet, let me say, if we choose to strive to live for God from a heart of devotion and motivated by the love of God and, and what the Lord has done for us, submitting to Him and to His will, we can be assured that on those occasions when we do sin, the Holy Spirit will convict us and, and bring it to our attention so that we can have an opportunity to repent of and, and confess those things to God and be thankful for His forgiveness. We can then move on in our relationship with God as we continue in fellowship with Him. Isaiah 58.11 tells us that what our life will be like if we are willing to do the things that God wants us to do in this life and He doesn't want us to do them grudgingly. He wants us to do them because we want to do them. He wants us to serve Him because it's our desire to serve Him. Sir, how would you feel if your wife plops supper down on the table tonight and said, All right, I did my duty. Eat up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. You might go with it for a time or two. If that's what she did every time, you might find another place to eat. Ma'am, how would you feel if every time <coughs> your husband takes the trash out or mows the lawn or Helps out or whatever. I don't know what responsibilities you share in your household and how you split things up. He were to come in and say, I've done my duty. There you go. Well, thanks a lot. 
I could go for it without the attitude. But you know, sometimes that's exactly how we serve God. All right, God, I'm here. Yeah, you're welcome. You ought to be thankful. And yet it's we who ought to be thankful that He's even been mindful of us. That He saved us from hell. Saved us from sin. Give us eternal life and the blessings of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in our lives. Not grudgingly, but out of a heart of gratitude. He wants us to serve Him because we want to serve Him. He wants us to have the right attitude, the right outlook. Even if things seem grim and dark and hopeless, to keep our eyes upon Him. Keep our focus upon the Lord Jesus. You know what? It takes time and it takes growth to get there. Nobody gets there overnight. And I don't know any Christian that's arrived, so we're still all a work in progress. But we, God wants us to grow and in time learn to love Him and fellowship with Him and enjoy Him. And God develops us and He grows us. Our heart's desire eventually will become more inclined to His will so that we do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And we don't do those things to gain salvation, but we do those things because we already have obtained salvation. This is the principle. Number two, we see the promises. And we won't spend a lot of time here because there's a lot of promises here. We don't have time to break them all down. I just want to encourage you tonight. And some of these promises might apply to you. Some of them may not. But maybe there's other promises in the Word of God that do apply to you. But we see here in these promises, there's the promise of provisions, isn't there? All kinds of provisions, really. And uh, we find it, just look at verse 11. He says, I'll guide you continually. Anybody need guidance? Anybody want the Lord to lead them? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll raise my hand. I sure do. Man, whenever I leave God out of it and I do my own thing, man, I can really make a mess of stuff. I need His leadership. I need His guidance. Not only in my life, I need it in my family. Not only in my family, I need it as a pastor of a church, as a member of this church. We all need God's direction and guidance. Man, I want that. That's a promise I want to lay hold of. That's a provision I want in my life. He goes on to say, not only will I guide you, I'll satisfy you. How many of you were satisfied Christmas morning? And how long did it take for that satisfaction to wear off? Things just don't do it. The possessions of this life are not fulfilling. If you got a set of earbuds, they're already old and there's probably a newer version out. I mean, whatever it is that we can look at and say, man, if I could just get that, I'd be satisfied. And how many of us, we've got that and then we're, I'm still unsatisfied. Because only God can satisfy. Only God can fulfill us. Only God can give us what we desperately need that this world can't give us. That the, the, the world says it can. It, it, it advertises that it can. But it never does. Speaking of, man, we've really moved up in the world. We've got a billboard in Smithville. Somebody said talks of a red light at 259 Highway 4 Junction. I told Jared uh, Youngblood, I said, man, we need to get a billboard. We're right on the highway. We, we'll get some revenue coming in for the church. Aren't you glad God can satisfy? Billboard signs always promise to satisfy. 
Come here, do this, experience that. It's always got a lot of, you know, pretty colors and kind of a bright lights and glitter or whatever the theme may be. But it never does what it promises to do. I'm glad God promises provision. He says, I will lead you. I will satisfy you. What else does he say? I'll make you fat. Now, you young ladies are saying, well, I don't want that one. You can bypass me on that one, Lord. But you understand, he's not talking about literally making you fat. <laughs> Even though there may be some truth to it, because most Baptist preachers I know are uh, very blessed. God has made them fat. But it means to have a lavish lifestyle. It means really to, to have an abundance. Now, that's not always true. There's a lot of people that don't have an abundance. But sometimes God will give us abundance in ways that we don't imagine He'll give us abundance. You know, I was reminded of this, and not to inject myself in the message, but I was reminded of this this past weekend when our son was in the hospital. And uh, he it could have been a lot worse than it was, and it really, in all... Uh, all honesty, it was very mild and a lot, a lot better than it could have been and a lot better than a lot of people's experience with the appendix usually is. But I was reminded there how God's grace was abundant. I was made fat on the goodness of God and made to worship Him and thank Him for His wisdom and His providence and His grace that overrides even my own desires. I wanted to leave that night and drive back here and find him some help out here so he'd be close to home. But if I'd have done that, it would have been a whole lot worse. I'm glad God is able to abound in my life and bless in my life, even in my ignorance and in my uncertainty. I was reminded of that. I would, I would love for God to keep making me fat like that, to experience His abundance and His providence in spite of me. So I'm just saying there's promise of provision. There's promise of posterity. And that's just a word that speaks of future generations. Look at what he says here. He says in verse 12, They that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. He's talking about another generation, those that are of you, those that come after you, whether they be your children or whether they be your disciples or those people God's put in your life to have a direct influence over. He says those that will come after you if you have pure religion and undefiled and you're not just going through the motions with a bad attitude, but you really love God and you show it through your action. Those that come behind you, God's going to bless them too. And they're going to pick up on those principles that you live by and God will use them to build the old waste places where there has been destruction and where there have been people that have been experienced pain and hurt and sorrow God will bring the next generation that's coming up into those people's lives and let them see God's blessing in their life God will restore them God will build them up he says they shall raise up foundations that's that's what I want. I want. I want the foundations to continue to be raised. Hold it up like a standard, young people. Next generation, pick up on what we're preaching here and dedicate your life to it and lift up the standard of God's Word. He goes on, he says, And thou shalt be called the repair of the breach and the restorer of paths to dwell in. So there's a posterity. There's a promise of that. If you serve God faithfully out of a heart of devotion. Doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time, but it means you're genuine. You're real. Promise of provision, posterity. Promise of preservation. In other words, 
where there was at one time a breach, destruction, things that were tore down. He says, I'm going to see that built back up and strengthened. I'm going to preserve you. Thank God, we, we see God preserving us here at Indian Mission. I believe that with all my heart. I see God's people being preserved in a very wicked day, in a day when it's hard to stand for the Lord, and yet God is preserving His people. He has. He has for all centuries. And He'll continue to do so. The promise. The principle. Let me move on quickly. We also see here the presence of God. And maybe that's the greatest of all the points. Notice what he says back in our text. He says, And the Lord shall guide thee continually. Not an angel. <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty spectacular if it was an angel. But no better than an angel. The Lord. The Lord God. The Lord Almighty. Jehovah shall guide thee. Remember when the Lord spoke to Moses in the, in the, in the wilderness? And he told Moses that an angel would guide them. What did Moses say to him? You remember what Moses' response was to that? Now, if any of us had God give us a vision, say an angel's going to guide you, we'd be like, all right. Moses says, no, Lord. He, he told him, and, and I am paraphrasing here, but Moses told the Lord he would not go through the wilderness before the people following an angel. And he said, if thy present go, presence go not with me, carry us up, not hence. He said, if, you're, if, if you don't lead us, God, I'm not going. He didn't want an angel. He wanted God. Beloved, God has not left you in your Christian journey to be led by an angel or by the governments of men. Thank the Lord for that. Or by prophets or somebody with insight or even a preacher. Listen, I may, in a sense, lead the church, but I am not the leader tonight. Thank God there's one greater than men, greater than angels, who has promised to lead us by His own presence. And it's God. The Lord shall guide thee continually. We may not see the cloudy, fiery pillar that Israel saw, but Jehovah will never forsake us. He is ever-present. And He is leading us even when we don't see His hand of leadership and guidance. Notice the word shall. The Lord shall guide thee. Now how certain is that? He didn't say He might. He could. He says He shall. This makes it a sure thing. And let me say this, if He shall, nothing can stop that. The precious shalls and the wills of God. Have you ever thought about that? Study that sometime. Go look up all the times God said shall and will. That'll bless your heart. Oh, the blessed shalls and wills of our God are better than men's oaths. Better than covenants. Better than contracts. Like the words of Jesus when He said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Thank God for the blessed wills of God. When God says, I will do something, mark it down, He's going to do it. Thank God for the surety of His presence. And again, in Matthew 28, 20, our Lord said, Lo, I am with you always. Not only the word shall, notice also the adverb continually. 
as if I shall do something is not enough from God. He adds it. He, he follows it up with continually I'll do this thing. <clears throat> We're not merely to be guided sometimes. We are to have an uninterrupted leader. He never takes a break. He never steps out. He never has to say, hey, give me just a minute, guys. I've got to wrap my head around it. He already knows the way. He knows the end from the beginning. And all that is in between, he's never caught off guard and he's never surprised. He says, I'll guide you continually. We're not occasionally left to our own understanding. You know, if we were, we would wonder. But we're continually able to hear the voice of our guide calling unto us as the Good Shepherd saying, Follow me! And His sheep hear His voice and they follow Him. And if we follow close to His heels, mark it down. Be assured, beloved, tonight, that if we do not err, we will be led in the way everlasting into the city where He dwells into eternal life itself. And if sudden change comes into our lives, if unfavorable circumstances rise unexpectedly without alarm, if you're called to move to some distant shore, or perhaps uh, you should be stricken with poverty, or, or perhaps with wealth, and you're, 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 you get great fortune in life, if you're thrown among strangers or cast among foes, praise God, fret not, for the Lord shall guide thee continually. Thank God there is no situation you can face that you will face alone. But God will be there with you. His presence beside you. For He shall lead thee. Thank God for His presence this evening. Hymn writer said it best, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in thee. Thou failest not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever shall be. Great is thy faithfulness. But I love the way he concluded with the third verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. But listen to these words. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. As I close with this, one man said, he goes not amiss who goes in the company of God. Like Enoch, walk with God. And you cannot mistake your road. You have infallible wisdom to direct you, immutable love to comfort you, and eternal power to defend you. Hear the words once again. The Lord shall guide thee continually. Isn't that wonderful words? And a glorious promise for a new year. <laughs> we can't change the old. But praise God, we have the promise going forward that if we'll walk with Him, His presence will go with us. And the Lord shall lead us. Are you letting Him lead you tonight? If not, I'd encourage you to do so. Remember the principles to live by. And may God help all of us, no matter what our circumstances, to serve Him genuinely. Genuinely. Out of a heart of love and devotion. And not out of a sense of religious duty and have to. 
and we'll have his presence with us all along the way. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we thank you for the Word of God tonight. We thank you for the promises of Scripture, the Lord, just the multitude of promises we have in your Word. But, Lord, even the ones we saw tonight, Lord, that you've given to those who will follow you and serve you genuinely. Those who will masquerade false religion just to be seen in the eyes of men, to be something they're not, Lord, you, you have nothing to do with that kind of religion. And, Lord, if we can play games and we can put on a facade, but in your eyes, Lord, you see through it all. And, Lord, these are promises that we can't claim if that's us tonight. But for those who will serve you, Lord, faithfully and love you, Lord God, through whatever comes, and just give you their life and devote themselves to you, be motivated by your love, have an attitude of thanksgiving as they worship and serve, Lord, these are promises we can claim tonight, and I thank you for that. And for those that are suffering and struggling tonight, even in this very room, I pray, God, you would warm their hearts with the truth of your word, and you would remind them that these are promises that they can claim. And remind us, Lord God, of your goodness. We love you tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you lead us. May you lead us this night. May you lead us throughout this week. And, Lord, may you lead us in the year to come. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Appreciate you being here tonight.